Before we get to today's episode of Off the Bench on the Wizards Podcast Network, we want to remind you to download the Wizards app on the go and in the palm of your hand. The official Washington Wizards team app is your mobile home for all things Wizards. Everything you need to know when it comes to game previews and recaps, radio broadcasts and stats, all at the touch of a button. You can even access the Monumental Sports Network and the Wizards Podcast Network with ease. Download the official Wizards team app today. What's up, Wizards fans? Welcome to another episode of the Off the Bench podcast presented by the Alibaba Group and part of the Wizards Podcast Network. I'm Jackson Filio, joined as always by Zach Rosen of Wizards Digital. And today we've got a really fun episode, a a summit of the beat reporters, two of the best in the business on the the Wizards media circle, Ava Wallace of the Washington Post and Fred Katz of The Athletic. Guys, thanks thanks so much for joining us. Um, We are recording this on Thursday morning. The Wizards were defeated last night in Memphis in their first game of the second half of the season. But I think, guys, we have to start by noting this as the one-year anniversary of the NBA suspending its season last year in 2020. I'm sure we'll be the only ones to do that today across the NBA media sphere. But but we have to. Um, it was a tentpole moment in the history of the league and the pandemic itself. Um, and I want to hear from both of you guys, but Ava, we can start with you. How vividly do you remember that night and and – what was it like? Take us through through what you did and um, and what you remember most about it. Um, I remember it extremely vividly. I I think probably like everybody, right? Like I haven't heard anyone who doesn't know exactly what they were doing kind of, but I was um, sitting in a bar um, outside of Madison Square Garden. I was there covering the Big East tournament. Um, Georgetown, the team I was covering at the time, had just lost. So we were kind of like, everybody was at like all the reporters and like all the Georgetown people were all like sitting in the bar, you know, doing the like season debrief or whatever. And like on the screens, it flashed that the NBA was shutting down and like they, they kept showing the like Rudy Gobert, like touching all the mics. And we were like, oh, that Rudy, like what a scam. Um, and then we were just kind of like looking at each other like, huh, like I wonder if the Big East is going to do anything. Um, and my editor called me and was like, yeah, you should probably come home from that very um populous city that you're in and I said I think I should stay because Big East hadn't canceled anything so the next day I went to a Creighton St. John's game which is glamorous and um I remember just like walking around the stands being like hey folks like how you feeling about things and everyone was um like watching their phones the whole time being like oh the Big Ten tournament was just canceled oh Big 12 just called it um and at halftime of that game it flashed on the boards at Madison Square Garden that um, the Big East was canceling the rest of the tournament and that all reporters should report to the media room because the commissioner was about to speak. And so then, um, and then, yeah, that that was like very, it was just really weird um, hearing the Big East commissioner speak about like, well, we didn't cancel because we weren't getting any guidance from New York City and no one was really telling us what to do. And then that, that, uh, that continued for a whole year of no one knowing anything. So that has been fun. Yeah. I, I so vividly remember the night before when the Wizards mm-hmm. played the Knicks. And, yeah. and it was the uh, – they had just gotten back from a West Coast road trip. Now, I remember the Wizards played the Knicks. And Mike Vorkanoff, who covers the Knicks for us, and I the entire time, we're running to the bathroom to wash our hands, masklessly wash our hands because masks somehow weren't a thing only a year ago. 
when we were running to the bathroom to wash our hands probably every three minutes. And it wasn't just because we were watching a Wizards-Knicks game. We were so paranoid the entire time. And the whole night, we were just having a running conversation, as two neurotic stereotypes do, just saying, like, how in the world are, is this game happening right now? Like, how are we getting together 20,000 people to watch a basketball game? How are people playing basketball and breathing on each other? And how is everybody in this arena not currently in here washing our hands? Uh, and, and we were just, we were bugging. And the next day, all the Rudy Gobert stuff happens. And I remember Mike and I texting through the whole thing and thinking like, uh, okay, like this is, this is really going to happen where we weren't going completely and totally insane last night. But I remember being at that game on the 10th, the night before the Gobert positive test and just thinking like, this is, this is crazy. Like this is something is going to happen to suspend the season. I didn't think it was going to be suspended for four and a half months, but I just figured something was going to happen with the way the world was trained and trending and where this had kind of taken over in so many other places around the world that, that something, something was about to go down, which was going to halt the season. I figured. That, by the way, is the difference between Fred and I in a nutshell, where he's like running to the bathroom and I'm like, let's go to a bar. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly true. Fred, I think you were at the Wizards Special Olympics event a few days before that, too, which I remember from an internal perspective, you know, we were very hesitant about doing the event and we made it like, hey, don't touch the players, you know. Let's just like leave a little bit of a buffer between the athletes from the Special Olympics and the players and everything, which is like pretty ridiculous at the same point. I mean, we didn't know any better, but there's still hundreds of people in that gym. Um, But that's kind of when I remember being like, okay, this is serious. Like, I don't know why we're doing this, but like, at least it's for a good cause, I guess. Um, (laughs) So that was a a big thing. Um, But Mm -hmm. I personally, and I'm sure you guys have similar stories, like, as soon as the NBA canceled the game, like I booked a flight and flew home like three hours within that time frame. Like, um, and I remember talking to my mom and she's saying, Oh, I don't think it's going to be that serious. I'm like, mom, uh, I'm pretty sure this is going to be a long-term thing. Uh, and here we are. Uh, Fred doesn't go to games. Ava goes with Jackson and I, and we are in our individual stations, you know, masked up watching basketball from a distance. So, um, I guess we all kind of mentioned the things that we'll remember about that, those, you know, dog days. But um, I think the Rudy Gobert moment probably sticks out for a lot of people. Um, I don't know if there's anything else that you guys can think of, like looking back that you're like, wow, I'm going to always remember that moment or uh, something along those lines. Yeah. I actually, you know, Zach, you mentioned that, that event that you just mentioned. I do remember going to that and I wasn't that, the day after the Gobert game or maybe it was the day before I guess it was the day before or two days before the Gobert game maybe and it was you know what it was (laughs) no it was I I know what it was it was I remember it was after some sort of COVID related uh like milestone moment and it, it it wasn't after the Gobert game it was it was after it was the day that the league first announced this would have been like less than a week before the Gobert game. Uh, uh-huh. It was the day that the, the league first announced that media was not going to be allowed in the locker room anymore. Oh yeah. And that you had to stand six feet 
at least away from players during availabilities and all of that. And this is when I was slowly, (laughs) this is, this is when I was slowly starting to deteriorate emotionally and intellectually and in every way possible. And I'm now just like a blob of a human being podcasting from my mother's bedroom. And, and so I, I remember being there and uh, Scott Hall, who, who runs media relations for the Wizards, me showing up and being like, what is, what is the deal here? Like, I don't even know like, what, what, is, what is the purpose of our existence in this moment. And, and, Scott, and Scott basically saying to me, like, don't worry, like, we have Purell. We're, we're fine. Uh, and, like, it was, it's just amazing how much because that's kind of what we knew at the time it was like make sure you purell make sure you wash your hands we didn't know about the airborne stuff like we just didn't know so much about it and it's just amazing how much the world has changed from that moment and people like, i can't believe it's been only a year considering how much the world has changed and and how differently we operate now compared to the fact that that was one year ago i think for me it's it's so much that happened after that first week when it was chaos and all of us trying to figure out what it meant until like we resumed basketball. Like Fred, until you said that the suspension was four and a half months, I forgot it was that long. Like that amount of time that we went, not just without basketball, but having no idea what was going to happen, whether or not the season was going to be resumed, if it was, how it would be. Um, I remember at one point there were discussions of, you know, two separate bubbles with the Western conference be in Las Vegas and the Eastern conference be in Orlando um and even when we did start to get an idea of what would happen it it still took a while and then you finally go through the bubble process the good and bad of that um you know the good I think what I mean by that is just all the 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 fun behind the scenes stuff that it created and seeing the guys um in a different environment than we're used to seeing them then we play what for a couple months for those of us that were watching remotely and you know normally just take the NBA in as a TV experience It, it looked it looked like basketball, it looked like playoffs and, you know, it was weird without fans, but um, you know, and then we go into the extremely brief off season and, and here we are again. I think for me, it's just in that one year, how many different phases, phases there were um, that kind of marked the different chapters of, of the pandemic through the NBA lens. We stopped publishing a print section for a while. We just didn't have a sports section in the paper because there were no sports that I mean, like, never in in my entire life have I seen that but yeah it was it was um right around when the bubble returned that we said okay we finally are getting some games back for some things um the NHL was kind of very distantly in their own bubble horizon but yeah that, I mean like I I for from April until June I was not covering sports I was just covering news and like was sent down to Louisville to cover all the stuff that was going on down there. It was wild. That was so weird. And now I'm just like, it's hard to, re- it's like when you talk about the different phases, I'm like, oh my God, we have five games in the next seven days. <laughs> like, Fred, what do you remember most about just trying to do your job last summer? Like specifically before the bubble started? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was really hard. Uh, you know, the big difference between me and Ava professionally is that, you know, Ava works for a small paper that sometimes, you know, tends to focus on news outside of sports. And for us, it's, it's just sports. And so you kind of just had to get creative. I liked the weird 
creative types of stories. I like working on that kind of stuff. And so one of the things that I will say that I, I don't want to say it's an advantage because it's not, but um, when there's a culture of everybody knowing there are no sports and you're like two or three months into it, and it's so obvious that it's hard to do your job in a moment like that, that even casual readers are like, man, it must be impossible to do your job in a situation like this when you cover sports, but there are no sports. It's like you're living in some sort of weird, you know, uh, reality show for sports writers where it's like, it's, 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 it's like that show. Uh, what's, what's the show chopped the reality cooking show. Is that what it is? Where they, they give you an experiment or they give you a recipe and they say, you know, make make a cake. And then halfway into the show, they say, ah, but there's a twist. Your cake can only be made using cement. And you're like, how the hell am I going to make a cake using only cement? And everybody freaks out. And and you kind of feel like you're in that moment where they're like, there's, there's a twist, sports writers. You're not going to have sports to write about. So the, the one thing that I will say is it it kind of gives you license to be super quirky because I think people and readers allow for you to take swings and misses. And sometimes you hit home runs with those because people are like, oh, this was a fun idea or, or whatever it might be. But it's hard because our job ultimately is to find stories and either react to stories or tell stories or have something to do with something that's what's happening. And when nothing is really happening, our inclination is, is never really to create news. It's to tell news. It's to report news. It's to find angles on news and things that are happening. And when there's nothing very much happening, it becomes a really, really weird way to operate in the job. Let's talk some wizards. Um, you guys both wrote really interesting pieces, um, kind of taking a, uh, a midpoint uh, look at, at Bradley Beal through what has been a remarkable season for him. Um, Fred, we'll start with yours, kind of just taking a straw poll around the league of where he ranks as, you know, what you called a pure scorer. Um, I, I think everybody should check it out. But my biggest takeaway from that was um, kind of what, what he could do to, to go up another tier. We've seen him somehow get better than he was last season, um, which kind of begs the question after somebody gets better. In, in a seemingly impossible way, if he can then do it again going forward. And, you know, getting to Kevin Durant's level in this pure score, score conversation seems difficult just because of who Kevin Durant is. But you look at the guys that finished ahead of Brad um, in your poll, not to spoil things, but I'm going to spoil things, uh, James Harden and Stephen Curry. What do you see that Brad can possibly do to go up one more level and kind of get into the same conversation as those guys? Yeah, so so I agree with you on Durant. I mean, I, I, one thing that I wonder is if so. So for the purpose of the poll, we we reached out to, and I should say I did this with Ben Standing and David Aldridge as well. Uh, and and for the purpose of the poll, we reached out to people around the league of all different titles, coaches and uh, execs. We got some GMs in there. We got some scouts. We got a few former players, and we wanted to kind of have a diversity of intellect there. And we asked them, who are your top five pure scorers? And then we compiled the poll. Kevin Durant got 20 out of the 31st place votes. One of the things that I wonder is if we did, who are your all-time best pure scorers? Like, I wonder where Kevin Durant would be on that thing. Because I think he'd be really high on the best pure scorers who have ever touched the basketball. Like, I think he's getting first place votes in that, of the best who have ever played the game. So, 
I think there's a reason Kevin Durant got two thirds of the first place votes. I mean, that dude is just so special. Um, what does Beal have to do specifically with Harden? What would he have to do? I think he'd have to reach the free throw line efficiency. If we're talking purely about, uh, you know, pure scoring, Brad, one of the things that Brad has really added to his game over the last three or four years is the ability to get to the line at a, at a really, really top-notch level. Harden gets to the line at a level like, you know, probably nobody else in the league with those, you know, kind of little moves that he does around the rim and in the paint. And Brad has added some of those. You know, he, he does the little Harden thing when he's going to the paint on drive three. He drops the ball low, kind of waits for a defender to put his hand in, and then he, he starts to jerk his hands back up right as the defender gets an arm in there. And he's gotten way more clever. He's gotten way more skilled, way more refined. I'm a big believer that when a guy makes a big jump and you wonder why is this guy so much better offensively than he used to be, that the first thing you can look at is their handle. And if often when you see a guy make a really big jump, it's his handle. And I think that's really true for Brad. Uh, his, his handle is so much better than it was four years ago. So ultimately, maybe a lot of this gets better by just the handle. If he continues to refine that, it's already very good. And obviously when we're talking about this level player, the only way to have this discussion is the nitpick. But if you have that handle, it allows you to go other places and maybe allows you to create a little more space. Maybe instead of becoming, you know, he's like 48% on mid-range jumpers this year, Maybe the handle allows you to create a little bit more space. And now you're like 51% on mid-range jumpers, which is an outrageous percentage. Again, we're talking about nitpicking type stuff. But I, I think that's probably about what it is when we talk about the pure scoring stuff. Because, look, Steph, it's the shooting. He's the best shooter ever to pick up a basketball. And I don't think you can ever get to that level. Uh, and Brad and Harden play in a somewhat similar way. Like, they have overlap stylistically. So, so I think he's going to have to make up that efficiency probably with, with getting to the line if he's going to get uh, you know to that level. Well, not to, to move right off of, of you, Fred, but we wanted to show some love for you know, Ava's most recent story too. Um, Ava, you touched more about the Brad and how he feels about his standing in the league, which I think you know fits right in with what, what uh, Fred's talking about, because he's a scorer. Um, as he said, he thinks he's pretty solid at scoring, uh, you know, leading the league in scoring. Uh, but for you, um, as you've kind of gotten to know him a little bit better um, on the beat, uh, like, what do you think he really does care about? Like, he, he seems to not care about fame as much, but he wants the, that recognition and that respect. And sometimes those things are, are hand in hand. Uh, but there is definitely a clear difference because just the way he talks about it. But, um, you know, what were your main takeaways from, from that discussion? Yeah, something that's been really, so I started covering the Wizards just right before you guys went to the bubble. So it's only been a couple months for me. And the thing that's been kind of most diff difficult for me to wrap my mind around is Brad, just because he obviously is a franchise star, the cornerstone, whatever, but he's not really like most other guys of that caliber that status in the league like he as you said the things he cares about are just maybe a little bit different um he really cares about going about things like quote unquote the right way like he's kind of got this like moral basketball code which has been really interesting to talk to him about so 
after he was named an all-star starter, that was the thing. And I've talked to Fred about this a lot that I, I was interesting me the most because, you know, getting to the, to be a starter in the all-star game, it is a popularity contest. And, you know, Brad's got, he's growing his game. He's growing his brand kind of more and more. And we saw him sign with Jumpman this year and everything, but it's not like he's got like Gatorade commercials or Nike commercials. The wizards aren't on national TV a ton. They weren't last year and they aren't this year. So I was kind of talking to Brad and I, I asked him, I was like, do you think people understand how difficult it is to do what you do night in and night out? Like, is that why they're voting for you? And he said, no, I don't think that's it. Like, I, I think it's really hard if you're not an NBA player who don't know like the, the things Fred is talking about, the different ways you have to change your handle or move your body just to get around defenses. Like we saw last night that are literally trained on you every single possession. Um, so we kind of talked about what it is the difference between respect and, and popularity in the league and, and what that means and I was I was kind of surprised how much he said he had been thinking about that lately um and just how different he views those things and I think something really interesting he said to me he was like you know I could think about it day after day after day but like I'll drive myself crazy unless at the end of the day I think like well I worked really hard for this and I worked really hard on my game and how could I not view this any other way other than a reward. And that's kind of what he comes down and he's like, you know, I worked really hard for this and I got the recognition I deserve. So that's kind of at the end of the day where he landed, but all of the little nuances and like in everything to get from, okay, I was voted an all-star starter. What did that mean? Everything between there was really interesting. And it was something he'd clearly thought about. Like he'd thought about it as a person and as a player and as someone as part of this team, he had also tried not to think about it too much. Um, I think like any normal person, you know, he's like, okay, eventually I have to put this out of my mind, but it was a really interesting uh, chat we had before All-Star. And it was just, I was just thinking about how hard it is for Wizards and how few Wizards players have been All-Star starters um, this millennium, like, and then was going through a bunch of amazing stories about how, I forgot that Gilbert Arenas, like the first time he was an All-Star, voted for himself 50,000 times, like back when there were literal paper ballots, he got a ton of paper ballots and sent them in and it like took him months to do. And I was like, yeah, not, 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 uh, not today, but those were fun stories to read. Those were really fun to dig up. Yeah, no doubt. Well, we, we highly recommend everybody check both of those pieces out. Um, it, it's a really good, uh, a good way to look at Brad from two different angles. Um, and I think as we look forward to the second half of the season, as fun as it is to watch and discuss Brad, he is, he's the constant, he's the, the known entity with this team. He's what um, the Wizards know they can count on. And I think um, what's most interesting about the second half of the season for the Wizards is going to be, um, you know, the things that fall outside those parameters. Um, you know, there's, I think a couple swing players on this roster. We asked Chris Miller this question last week and I, I won't spoil his answer. So as to, to not bias your guys takes here, but um, again, want to hear from both of you and, and Fred, we can start with you on this. Um, we've seen, we've seen Russ get healthy and unlock something new in this team. We've seen Davis um, find his shooting stroke and unlock um, something new with this team. Who on in the rotation do you think has something left to unlock in themselves and um, consequently in the rest of the rotation and the team going forward? Who do you think can really swing things for this team? That's interesting. Uh I'm going to give a little bit of an alternative yet very on-brand answer. Uh, I will say that, I mean, I don't think Garrison Matthews is necessarily going to bust out a pick-and-roll game. But, you know, he played 14 and a half minutes last night against Memphis. 
And, you know, one of the things with the Wizards offense is, is, you know, for as much as, as, you know, they talk about defense is the thing they need to hone, defense is the thing they need to get better at, and, and they're not wrong on that. You know, I kind of thought coming into the year, the offense was at least going to be in the top half of the league in terms of efficiency, and it hasn't been to this point. And I, I know they were 21st in points per possession at the break. Uh, I don't know what they are after the Memphis game, but they're somewhere around there, you know, bottom 10, bottom 12, somewhere in there. And I figured they'd be higher. And part of the reason why it's fallen back from at least where my expectations were is the three-point shooting. The three-point shooting just hasn't been where it's at. And that's in part because of Davis's slow start. It's in part because of Thomas Bryant's injury. Because with losing, with losing TB, you know, people talk about the size that you lose, the screening ability, the rolling, all of that. And that's all completely true. But he also gives you a shooter. I mean, he can legitimately drain from three. You can't leave him a wide open as, uh, on the three-point line or he's going to hit that shot 40 seems like 40% of the time at this point. So, you know, they lose a shooter when they lose Thomas Bryant too. And, and they haven't, they don't have a dearth of three point shooters. You know, they're, they're three centers. They play now aren't like completely, totally stretched guys. Although Mo will, will take those shots. Uh, and they play wings who aren't, you know, guys who you feel like you can't leave as defenders with, whether it's, it's Avdia or Troy. Brown getting minutes last night, you know, they're guys who people will help off of. So I think it can cramp their space in. And I just wonder if, if, if they play Garrison Matthews, if they guarantee him 20 minutes of that a night, I, I wonder how that changes their offense because of the way he can move off the ball because of the way he can shoot. Um, and I, I, that's my personal opinion, obviously, but that's one of them where, where I, I think that could, that could help. That's not sending you to another stratosphere, but I think it's an easy adjustment that that helps them. I, I just think you got to run the offense through Robin Lopez and get that hook shot going. <laughs> That's my dream, um, but no. Um, I I think the the extremely Scott Brooks answer and kind of the one I would probably talk about is um, is Rui, and he was just it, we saw him take the steps on defense in the first half of the season, especially during that win streak, and we saw kind of how that affected everybody um if he takes some similar steps on offense to go with the defense i think that would be huge for them or and or if he plays defense more consistently at that level i think that's going to do a ton for the wizards in the second half one of the biggest questions i had going into the second half of the season and and um david aldridge uh fred's colleague there kind of asked a really smart similar question to Scott right before the all-star break where he said is this defense the identity going forward like is this what you guys can do night in and night out um or was that an uptick during a good stretch and I think I think if Rui steps up on defense and helps play that part more consistently and then just like take some of those threes when he catches them and I'm like really just take it come on man uh it drives me crazy sometimes but um yeah I think I think that certainly is what the team would say they put so much stock in Rui as we hear um night in and night out just as a guy who's able to do so much for the on the floor um for them so yeah again what Fred said not not sending anybody into a different stratosphere but there are a lot of things little things this team can do to kind of make sure they're on night in and night out for sure I like your Robin Lopez idea thank you I think it works Robin Harrison baby I will, I will I will also add, which is more big picture than what I came up with with my Garrison Matthews answer on the spot, which is um, 
you know, maybe, maybe Denny can do some more. And whether that's because he can step up personally or because they can put him in a role that allows him to personally do more. I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if there was something there that progressed throughout the season, you know, earlier in the year, even in those preseason games, you kind of see him getting defensive rebounds and going, and he still does that, but it doesn't always take him into a sort of playmaking role. You don't see a lot of pick and rolls from him, but when you do, like it, he doesn't look like somebody who runs a pick and roll and you're like, Oh no, you don't want him running that. Like I remember when the, the wizard, the, the year the wizards got Trevor Ariza for the, for the second time. And, and Trevor Ariza was running a few pick and rolls every game. And it was because they just kind of, you know, wall was hurt. They're lacking ball handlers. And you're like, you don't want your, and you're just kind of reminded like, you know, Ariza did a pretty good job given the circumstances, but like, that's, just not his game you're watching it and you're like this is not really what you want out of an offense and when Denny runs them occasionally you're like he's gonna be able to do this like that's going to be he's 20 like that's going to be a part of his game and and so you know there are two there are two ways a rookie can go I guess you know people talk about the rookie wall but there's also kind of like the rookie breakthrough of oh it just it just unlocked for me I understand how to do this fill in the blank thing and so if he all of a sudden if they start to rely on him a little more for playmaking or, or a little more as a creator or to run breaks or to just be able to make those intuitive passes from the wings as opposed to standing in the corner as much. And he starts to feel comfortable. I mean, that's something that wouldn't surprise me because I think the organization had a lot of faith in Denny when they drafted him uh, and, and him making those sorts of steps. I mean, that, that wouldn't be shocking to me at all. I was just going to say also the way you guys talk about it, it almost seems like Russ and Brad need to just gain more trust from these other guys. Um, I feel like when they, when they get in these offensive stalwarts when they're struggling, it's because Brad and Russ are kind of like, okay, I got to do this myself. You know, these guys aren't hitting shots and Brad has the, had that trust with Thomas Bryant. Like that was clear and evident that was grown through the years. And without that, I feel like sometimes they're both kind of looking around like, who can I trust tonight? And I feel like that'll come with just more chemistry and a, a set rotation. Um, as great as it, as it is to have Troy and, and Vonga kind of step in and, and make plays or Alex Lamb getting some time here and there, I think it's just hard when you're not practicing to like get that chemistry right. And it's nobody's fault. I mean, like the coach has, has to do something when they're losing by 19 and come back, right? Um, but at the same time, being able to, to build that chemistry, which I think they've done during this eight and four stretch. Um, but then they just had a break for five days. And Brad was just playing in a meaningless game with a bunch of all-stars. And probably, you know, mentally, it's still as stupid as it sounds. Like, it's an adjustment to have to go from playing against no defense to Dylan Brooks absolutely face guarding the hell out of you and not giving you any airspace. So um, props to Dylan Brooks, by the way. That guy just – Every defender should just watch how he defends Brad. I mean, you got to have a lot of energy to do that, but man, he he's really figured it out. Um, but uh, anyway, our next question for you guys was just this Eastern Conference is so jumbled. I mean, you're just as close to being the worst team in the conference to being the four seed. Um, and how do you guys think that's that's going to pan out? Um, I'm sure the trade deadline will have a lot to do with it. There's some injuries around the league that that could. Um, you can see guys get healthy, you know, like Kemba Walker starting to get healthy. would be a big deal. Uh, DeAndre Hunter coming back for the Hawks, uh, for the Pacers if Carousel Vert comes back. You know, there's just a lot of what ifs. 
Um, and Ava, we'll start with you. Just what do you foresee kind of breaking down and, and what are the keys, you know, one way or the other for the Wizards and just like a stacked conference? For I think the Wizards keys are the easiest part of that um, equation, just kind of thinking about the Eastern Conference standard, uh, standings, which are really, really jumbled. Um, it, it's their defense. And that's kind of what everyone was talking about um, when they went on their really hot streak and, and couldn't seem to lose for a few games there. But um, yeah, if they, can, if they can play that defense consistently and that leads to their offense and that kind of mitigates some of the slow starts that the team has been falling into, then I think definitely that's their ticket. And, and like, I really like what you said about trust and the trust coming back once you get a few games in. I think you're seeing that trust a lot more, um, specifically thinking of Russ and Robin and the way that Russ has been able to kind of work with some of those bigs lately. When that's on, that was really on um, for those two guys. So I think, yeah, I think the trust coming back, chemistry coming back in defense is definitely going to be the key to them. In terms of other things in the Eastern Conference, um, Philly's going to be good. The Nets are going to be good. Both of those teams are going to be very fun to watch. I don't really have a good grasp on where everyone else is going to fall after that. Um, and that's going to be really weird and fun you'd like to see kind of boston win a little bit more just because it's more fun when when the boston's and the knicks and stuff are winning um i might i might kind of want to like hitch my wagon to the knicks for the rest of the season and just like that seems fun it seems like it would be fun to be a knicks fan right guys yeah everyone recommends that we're watching the knicks right now is hilarious they they play amazing defense yeah it's really good yeah, I, I all of I'm New Yorker and all of my friends from home are bugging because they're one game above 500 and they haven't lived this sort of top shelf basketball life in a very long time. They're 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 freaking they're so excited. They all are so pumped about Tibbs getting them one game over and uh yeah, you know Zach, I don't know if you if you said this because you checked the math already or you just kind of said it as a figure of expression, but they are literally the same exact amount of games back of four, the Wizards. They're the same amount of games back of four as they are up on 15. They're four and a half back of four and four and a half up on 15. So it is, it, it, like, it, yeah, <laughs> it is, it is amazing that it could really be that close. I, I think the other thing, which Ava kind of touched on, is just like, you want to make a run in the second half? Like, honestly, I think we kind of overanalyze it if, if the answer isn't. And, and I guess it could be defense, too. That's true. But, I mean, it's, I think it has so much to do with just Russell Westbrook. What, what Russ are you, are you getting? And, and I think the Russ we saw at the beginning of the year is now gone. I think it's clear that he's much healthier than he was, you know, when he couldn't get to the rim and, you know, wasn't really driving by guys and, and all of that, you know, in December and whatnot. I think it's clear that that rust was, was hampered by the quad injury, but you still get, you know, the, the low rust moments and the ridiculously high rust moments. And if they can even that out to where you're getting kind of the rust you got on the tail end of that five game winning streak, where he is just attacking the rim relentlessly and he's not relying on his jump shot. Instead, he's relying on, on that incredible ability to be able to get to the rim. You know, he, he missed a lot of layups during that stretch 
a lot of them. But the thing was, he took so many layups that he was still bumped his efficiency by an incredible amount because making a relatively low percentage of your layups is still way better than making a high percentage of your jumpers. And it's just the layup and the dunk is that much better of a shot than anything else. And his ability to get to the rim when he really pushes it is still pretty incredible. Um, I think that's kind of the key for their offense. We talk about a lot of the smaller stuff. Maybe, maybe my, that should have been my answer to like, what's, what's the unlock, the thing to unlock. It's like if Russ can do what he did, like kind of on that, winning streak in terms of shot selection. He's such an enigma of a player because, you know, most players, whether they play well, or I should say most players to the degree to which they help their team is dependent on whether they play well or don't play well. And with Russ, it's not so much uh, how he plays that determines how much he helps. It's more the way he plays that determines how much he helps. Uh, if he's attacking, he's facilitating. I mean, you're getting an incredible player that's going to impact winning at a ridiculously high level. And and when he shows up on those nights and can do that, they just look like a different team on both ends of the floor. Uh, and if they start to get more of those kinds of rest performances, like he's kind of been showing lately, he's been adding more of them on. I think I think that's a, that's obviously a very big help for them. So maybe that should have been my answer. Shockingly, Russell Westbrook could potentially help them more than Garrison Matthews. But I uh, I think that probably should have been my, my one to go with. No, but and, and to be fair, Fred, I think the, the Russ stuff is a great point. And I, I believe when I asked the question, I did kind of qualify it and say other than Russ. So I think you get a pass there. But I think that's um, – I, I think when you look around the Eastern Conference, and Zach, you mentioned some of the other guys on other teams, whether it's DeAndre Hunter, Kemba Walker, Karis LeVert, it's such an important question going forward because with the – Standings packed as tightly as they are. It's so delicate. A, a, a two-game win streak and a two-game losing streak means so much more than it than it would in the Western Conference, for example. And, um, you know, I think an optimist can say, okay, there are only X amount of games back of this seed or that seed. Um, and, and a pessimist could say, okay, well, yeah, you're competing, though, against 14, 13, however many teams you want to say are, are, are trying here in the second half. So, um, I think what it's really going to come down to is managing what is just a brutal second half schedule. Um, and, and we can touch on this a little bit and then get you guys out of here. But um, I, I think Jackson, there's... I, Jackson, I was also going to say the other simple fix is they're like nine and seven against the West and then whatever under 500 against the East. So beating your opponents in your own conference could go a long way too. just a simple Simple answer, you know, you think back to that four-game home stretch to start the year with Chicago and Orlando, and that's probably the swing right there, but just a simple answer there. And now you'll touch on, you know, they're about to play a bunch of these teams in the East that are at the top. Yeah, and, you know, I don't want to put you guys on the spot too much. I don't know if you've memorized the second half schedule yet, but um, I, I think there's a really, really tricky stretch kind of in each month that's left, and we're coming up very quickly on, on the one that I have listed for March, this Philly-Milwaukee-Milwaukee home weekend, um, I think can, uh, can set the tone for what the wizards want to do here in the second half. And then in the month of April, there's a, a six game road trip that includes four games out West, um, you know, an Orlando to golden state trip that then turns into a golden state to Phoenix back to back. Um, you know, they already had one 
pretty challenging West Coast trip and handled it very well. I, I think seeing what they can do on that second one could go a long way. And then kind of to what, you know, the point that Rosen just made is then in May, um, the Wizards closed the season with eight straight games against Eastern Conference opponents. And other than Milwaukee, um, they're all teams that are kind of in that same tier competing for however many of these playoff spots we want to say are being competed for. Um, so I don't know if it's one of those guys or if there was something else about the second half schedule that you guys saw. Um, but what, what do you guys look for most uh, in these remaining 38? I believe it's 38 games. And maybe we can start with you. Yeah, yeah, I will. Well, actually, can I can I just build off the Rosen point really quick? I'm totally breaking the mold of the podcast. I'm interrupting Ava. I'm I'm, I'm ruining the whole thing. Uh, I just I just want to add to the 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 Zach point. I don't know why I'm saying the Rosen point. I never call him Rosen. Uh, <laughs> That's the Rosen. Point. They they the, the classic the the Rosen point sounds sounds like a a, a court thing. The Rosen point. You remember the Rosen point? 1973. Uh, the Wizards. <laughs> The Wizards have the third best record in the Eastern Conference against 500 plus teams. And they have the second worst record in the Eastern Conference against sub 500 teams. And that is a wild juxtaposition to be the third best team in the whole conference against good teams and a, the second worst against losing ones. It's just so weird. And Zach, it goes to your point about East versus West, and, and that is certainly reflected in that set as well. Sorry, Ava, I concede the floor to you. Um, no, that's exactly what I was going to say. That this weekend coming up, Philly, Milwaukee, Milwaukee is really important. And but I look at the back half of this month, where it's like after you've got the Nets, which I guess the Wizards are just going to beat the Nets every time. Like I, I don't know. Like I guess that's going to happen again. Um, looking at they close the month out with. Um, two in a row against the Knicks and then Detroit Pacers Hornets. That's, I think, what I'm looking at most is how they kind of go through that. I guess you call it a gantlet, Detroit Pacers Hornets. I don't think any other team would, but for the Wizards, it feels really important. Um, that Minnesota win that they got after coming back from the West Coast trip uh, in March, where they just kind of handled their business at home. And it was one of those wins that like you were quote unquote supposed to get this win and, and they came out and kind of did their jobs. That was, that felt like a much bigger deal than it looked on paper to me, just because the wizards had kind of struggled in some of those games early, earlier in the year. So yeah, I definitely have that West coast trip in April. That seems like it's going to be brutal for us people who cover the team um if not the team itself but i'm really looking at the end of this this um this month in march here too to see how they kind of cancel it you know the the hornets are really good and fun to watch but they're also like lurking at like what mid middle of the conference and kind of same with the pacers and and so that's going to be most interesting for me for sure to see if they can figure out those teams now you can talk fred I, I've really interrupted you to say everything that I need to say. It's you're right. It's uh, whether they beat the teams that are close to them will have a giant impact on, on, on where they actually end up like that. That's ultimately what's going to do it because these teams all kind of seem like they're going to end up really close and jumbled in there with very similar records and if you beat up on those teams you find a way to beat up on those teams like that can propel you from 12th or 11th to 
honestly, like it could save you from even the play-in tournament. It could potentially be so close between like seven teams. Yeah. Play-in tournament is such an interesting <laughs> uh, thing to throw in here because I feel like uh, a lot of the teams in the play-in tournament, like in the playoffs too, like probably wouldn't want to play the Wizards just because of the star power um, and the short rotations and just how the playoffs work. So um, I don't know. It, it, it's going to be quite the second half here for, for everyone involved. You know, what do we have now? 37 games and 65 days left. Uh, don't say it like that. Please don't say it. Like that. <laughs> I feel like Scott Brooks is going to continue to just count that down. Like he loves those like days with games within days kind of stats. <laughs> Um, but it's one game be entertaining. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. And like we said, it, it starts this weekend with a stretch of games, Philly, Milwaukee, Milwaukee, part of a five game stretch at home. And that doesn't necessarily mean what it used to from a home court advantage standpoint, but it's a great opportunity for the wizards to get the second half off, uh, off on a hot start and, uh, and, and work towards some of the things that we discussed here today. But guys, thanks so much for, taking the time out of your morning. And uh, like we said, we encourage everybody to check out those pieces that we touched on earlier, but uh, this was great guys. Thanks. Thanks.